your Bibles and take them out, get a pen, get a, get a paper out, use the worship guide if you want to to make some notes. But we're coming here to this, the end of Luke's fantastic story of Jesus and his life and his ministry, and we're beginning now to see the culmination of where Jesus is headed, what he's headed towards here on earth. His, his ministry culminates in the cross. And Luke is indicating that Jesus also realizes that the time is short and he's, he's headed out resolutely toward Jerusalem and he knows that he's headed into the last week of his life. People will enter him into the city of Jerusalem with cries of joy and shouting that he is the king, but he knows that the cross is just ahead. He knows the resurrection is there too, but the agony of the cross awaits him. And so he's coming as the spotless lamb of God. And Luke is helping us to understand in this story, in this large story, many, many chapters, he's helping us to see over and over again that Jesus is the one that breaks the barriers that keeps us from him. Last week, Pastor Brent taught on Luke 18, and and it it was a wonderful, masterful job talking about children. And it's the story about where the children were coming to Jesus and disciples tried to stop them. They were hindering them from coming to Jesus. Lucas tells us the story about the things that hinders people from coming to Jesus. And so as we look through the the book, we see people like uh, those who were struck with leprosy being hindered from coming to Jesus, and yet there he is healing them. We see uh, women who are hindered culturally from talking with Jesus and him interacting with them and The woman in in Luke 7 that pours the jar of perfume on him, a sinful woman, comes to Jesus and the barrier is broken. All through the book of Luke, we see this idea that Jesus breaks the barriers that keep us from him. And so here, once again, in this chapter 19, we start out with this wonderful story of Zacchaeus. All right, so let's look at verse 1 in chapter 19 and let's read it together. Jesus entered Jericho. And was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Just pause there for a moment. A chief tax collector. You got to understand what that means. That means he was on the top of the collection pyramid scheme. It was the first pyramid scheme ever. And they were collecting taxes, and he would oversee other tax collectors. And, and here's why people hated them so much. They hated these tax collectors. They were, these were Jewish people that were accepting taxes from their, their own people, and yet they were shaving off a little for themselves. All through the process, people were being swindled. And everybody knew it, and they were padding their own pockets. That's why he was wealthy. And so this chief tax collector... Patting his pockets, he, he sees that Jesus is coming. Verse 3, he says he wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So we, get a, we start to get a picture of Zacchaeus. First of all, we understand that Jesus has had a crowd following him now for a, quite a, a long time. Three years into his ministry, massive crowds are following him. He's doing miracles. It's incredible. People are talking about him. The word is spreading about him. Zacchaeus hears about him. He wants to go see who this guy Jesus is, but he's a short little man. Zacchaeus a short little man, potentially with short man's syndrome. 
always trying to prove that he knows what he's doing, always trying to make stuff happen, trying to be bigger than he is. He's, you can see him there. If you look in your mind's eye, you can see him, and their crowd is there, and he's like. So finally, he gets an idea, and the next verse tells us, so he, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. It strikes me that this man who is well-dressed, wealthy, he is maybe even trying to be respected in the community, taking advantage of people all the while, and yet here is this man who's got to get to Jesus. It indicates to us that something is already happening in him. And so he is... He is running and he climbs up this tree. And it's a very strange thing that he climbs up a sycamore tree. It would have been a tree that is easy to climb and the branches go out sideways. And he, he would have climbed up in his robe. And there he is hanging out over the way that Jesus is coming, hanging onto a branch. That's not too dignified, is it? <clears throat> it seems like there is a, some kind of humility that's starting to work in this guy. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I can imagine him thinking to himself, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. But instead, Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. Jesus invites himself over. Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Verse 7 says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, mutter. Maybe your translation says something else, but muttering is the same word that is used in Exodus, talking about the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness. They're muttering against Moses. They're muttering against God. They're, they're complaining. And so what are they muttering? They're like, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. The guest of a sinner. It strikes me that Jesus is always trying to get those who are outside to come inside the circle. He's not resisting people. He's not rejecting people. Actually, it was the opposite with the Pharisees. What were they trying to do? They were always trying to push people out. In fact, the Pharisees believed that coming into contact with a sinner made you unholy. Jesus is trying to break the barrier of holiness as a way to, to make people feel guilty or to judge people. He's breaking the, the barrier, and what he's saying is it's not, it's not being with another sinner that makes you unholy. What makes you unholy is what comes out of you. What makes you, what makes you unholy is not what goes into you, it's what comes out of you. It's not what you touch with your hands. It's what goes on inside and pol- that pollutes you. In your own sinful desires, Jesus is breaking this barrier down. And, and it's so important for us to see this because I think we are tempted to do the same thing as God's people. We are tempted, we are tempted to resist people or to reject them or to write them off. We are tempted in our holiness only to hang around with other people who are holy. This is one of the reasons it happens. People, people don't want to receive the influence of unholy people, right? 
right? That's one of the reasons people shrink back from others who have uh, major issues going on in their life. But here's what God wants. Here's what he's trying to get you and me to do. He wants us not to be the ones who are influenced by the unholiness. He wants us to become the influencers. He wants us to become the ones who are not afraid to sit down with people who don't know him at all, who have major issues in their life, and they need an answer. They need somebody to help them. God's plan is for you to be that person. This is what Jesus is doing, breaking this barrier down. And so verse 8 says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is a public confession. He's saying it in front of everybody. He's stolen from all these people. He says, I'm going to pay everybody back. In fact, I'm not just going to pay him back. I'm going to pay him back four times. And if you look back at the Old Testament law and rules, this is, this is more generous than any of the laws that would say if you stole from, from somebody, you have to pay them back. It's two or three times more. Being more generous. This guy says, I'm going to give all, half of what I have, half of everything that I've got, I'm going to give, them, give it to the poor. You can imagine the people around him thinking to themselves, what is going on? Well, here's what's going on. Something's happening in the heart of Zacchaeus. Jesus has reached him even before, even before he actually arrives. So he says, I'm going to do this. And then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. It's amazing to see Zacchaeus trying to run to Jesus. Trying to figure out a way to see him. Trying to figure out a way to get to him. But the wonder of the story, the, 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 the reason the story is so powerful is because it wasn't Zacchaeus getting to Jesus that was really the difference. It was Jesus inviting himself to his house. Jesus decided he was coming to his house. Instead of Zacchaeus coming to Jesus, Jesus came to him. Listen, that's the way it works with all of us. You may think you're wandering around. You may think your family members, some of you praying moms are praying for your kids, and you think they're wandering around. Look, Jesus is coming to them. He's coming to them. You can be sure of that. This story indicates it. Luke is including it here in this story to help us understand who Jesus is and how he works and how he functions Jesus invites himself for dinner. He comes into contact with this man. The crowds and certainly the religious establishment have given up on this sinner. They hold no hope for him. But I want you to see something. But Jesus comes to pursue those whom others have written off. Jesus comes to pursue others, those whom others have written off. He is looking for the least, the prodigal, the weak, the hopeless case, the unreachable person. He's after them. He is the physician who heals the sick. He's not just the trainer who works out the well. He's not, the, he's not just dealing with the healthy. He wants to come and heal the sick. It's amazing. Jesus is the only one who can turn a thief and a cheat into a generous philanthropist. 
Think about that. He's the only one that can turn a heart like that. The grip of money, the clutches of materialism and possessions, loosening their grip. Suddenly, Jesus is changing this man. Only Jesus can turn the most hated man, the most hated man in the city, into a beloved children's story. You know, kids like this story. In Sunday school, did you sing the song? Anybody sing the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Sycamore tree and... Jesus said, come down from here. Goes today. Yes, I'm going to your house today. There it is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I I couldn't get it. This is a this is this is the miracle. This is the miracle of what God does. He takes a hardened man who takes advantage of people and turns him into a kid's story. Only Jesus can take a broken and abused child and turn him into a healed and whole person. Only Jesus can miraculously change an insecure and intimidated boss into an excellent employer who is willing to invest in other people. Some of you are like, you don't know my boss. Only Jesus can turn a sex addict into a purity-loving and faithful husband. It's possible. It's possible. Only Jesus can take a foolish and unfaithful failure and turn her into a successful and strong spouse who loves her husband. Only Jesus can do this. And this, this, this story about Jesus coming to him, it reminds us of another person in our society who we, we always see this way. A person who believes the best in us, no matter what's happening to us. It's our mom's right? Our moms believe the best in us. It's amazing to, to, to see how many prison inmates love their mothers and send their mothers Mother's Day cards. You've doubtless heard of the stat that the, the, that the Mother's Day cards, wildly successful in the prison, Father's Day cards, practically non-existent. It's a symptom of our culture, the broken family and absent father's. Moms doing it on their own. You can see it if, you, if you've ever seen the scene of a death row inmate and outside the, where he's being held, there's demonstrations and signs pleading for justice for this criminal, for this crook, for this killer. And there she is, his mother with a sign pleading for a stay of execution for her son. No matter how bad a person gets, it never seems to be bad enough to escape the love of a mother. Moms, they take care of us like no one else, don't they? They pick, us, they pick up after, after us. They change countless diapers. I was talking to my wife about this the other day. It's been, we've been changing diapers for 18 long years. We've been wiping butts for a long time. We're about done. Thank God. And it's amazing. I have, I, I have not changed near as many diapers as my wife has. She is so impressive. My wife, I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever 
heard the term mama bear? Mama bear, you know what that is? It's about a mama bear, a bear whose cubs are attacked. And what happens to a bear when her cubs are attacked is she becomes a ferocious animal that is going to destroy whatever is in its path. <laughs> I've seen that in my wife. There's a story. We were at the mall many, several years ago, and we're, we're at the mall in one of those play areas, you know? Those are the worst places It's so awful. We're sitting there and our kids are having a great time. They're screaming. They're jumping around on stuff. And suddenly my wife spots some woman with my child, with our child. It was Taylor. And and she spots him and she's walking around. She's kind of calling out for the mom. So she goes up and and says, I'm, I'm his mom. And she says, your son tried to bite my daughter. And if he does, I'm going to smack him. That's exactly... That's exactly right. <laughs> My wife said, um, excuse me? She said, I'm going to smack your son if he keeps trying to hurt my daughter. She said, you are not going to smack anyone, especially my son. I mean, it was like one of those things. And they, they kind of traded back and forth for a few moments, just back and forth. Uh-uh, yes, I am. No, you're not. Uh-uh, yes, I am. And then my wife grabbed her son and said, you stay away from my son, and, and, and walked away. Now, my son did have a biting problem. Yeah, my wife said, my wife was retelling the story to me uh, yesterday, and she said, I think I said to her, I don't even see any marks. (laughs) He didn't even leave any marks. You want to know a little secret? This is really fun. My my wife cured Taylor of biting people by uh, biting him on his arm. Anyway, there you go. I don't recommend it, but it does work. Okay, so... So there's something about moms, there's something about the way that they protect their kids that I think we want to tap into here with what's happening to Jesus. And I want you to see how it works. Go down to verse 28, Luke 28. We're going to skip the parable of the ten minas, and and we're going to look at verse 28. That story he tells in response to this rich man coming to God, and 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 he challenges the religious people, the religious leaders of his day. That's the purpose of the parable. But then he comes to the triumphal entry, and I want to read this because I want you to see what's happening to Jesus, what's going on inside of his heart. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Wouldn't you love to just have that answer for anything you needed? (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, the Lord needs this. (laughs) Unfortunately, he has to tell you that that's what you should say before you say it. So verse 32 says, Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt. Now I want you to see this. And put Jesus on it. So there's a bunch of disciples here, there's a bunch of people here, and they begin to put their cloaks on the donkey, on this. He, he wasn't riding a horse, by the way. He wasn't a conquering king riding a giant horse into the city to be adored in worship. He put himself on a colt. He came as a humble king, 
wanting to offer something that nobody expected. They expected him to come and conquer. What he was offering was something different. He, came, he comes and they start, they start laying down their cloaks in the road. Look at what verse 37 says. He says, when they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And this is, this is what's kind of erupting as they're coming down. And this psalm is a psalm that they would sing as they would ascend the hill of the Lord. They were, they were singing this song. This is what's happening. And they were kind of, they were kind of rejoicing in all that God had done. And then the Pharisees say in verse 39, some Pharisees in the crowd, they said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I love this passage because I think it's a, it gives us insight into what's really going on here. By the way, overly religious people will always get a little upset at worship that is a little expressive. There is a sense to which there's an inappropriateness in the minds of the religious people. It's inappropriate for his, his disciples to give him this kind of adoration. They don't know who he is. Some people, they come to one chapel. I know that sometimes they come in and they're a little taken back by the, by the exuberance or the, or the expressive nature of worship. But here's the deal. When Jesus changes your life, when you, what you were is no longer the case, when he has freed you from chains and bondages and addictions and habits, I'm telling you, it will lead to dancing. It's just part of the deal. So that's what's happening here. They're so overjoyed, and you've got to see this picture. It's happening all around Jesus, and then the Pharisees, they say, you keep them quiet. And Jesus says, no, this is, this is what all of creation has been preparing for. What's right ahead, what's beginning to happen, the time has come that if these don't cry out, even the rocks will break open and begin to worship. Because creation was designed to give honor and glory to God. Creation has been groaning from the first until this very moment where the king of glory is going to come into his place. He is going to conquer the enemy and he's going to bring his peace to bear on the world, on the earth. But I want you to see that as all of this rejoicing is happening around Jesus, Jesus does not rejoice. I want you to look at it. Verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. I've been there, coming over the Mount of Olives and down into the Kidron Valley, there's, it, you, you come down and as you come over it, you can see the holy city shining in its brilliance. Jesus comes over and the people are, are rejoicing, but he is weeping in his heart because he knows there are so many who have rejected him. There are so many that are missing it. They don't understand it. He's weeping. He's crying. He's actually openly weeping for Jerusalem. And as he saw the city, he wept over it. In verse 42, he said, If even you, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. So many people are looking for peace, but they don't know how to find it. So many people think... 
That money will bring them peace. Somehow the right relationship will bring them peace. Somehow the, the possessions that they own will bring them peace. A career, getting to a certain place in a career, finally I'll have peace. Jesus is saying, you're missing it. If you, only you, wouldn't have known on this day what would actually bring you peace. So many in Jerusalem were thinking that he was coming to conquer politically. He was coming to conquer the Romans. That's not what he's bringing. And Jesus cries out and he said, if only you would know this day what brings you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes and the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. If you have your pen, would you just underline that little line right there? They did not recognize the time of God coming to them. Jesus is prophetically saying he knows what's coming. Jerusalem will be flattened. It will be destroyed in A.D. 70. He knows what's coming. He knows that the political forces that are at work are going to destroy this city. He knows the answer that he's bringing and he knows people don't see it. He knows they will not receive it. And so he's saddened, he's weeping, he's overwhelmed by the fact that that there's going to be people, the needless suffering that's going to occur. He's weeping as a result of it. Look, people, this is the image the world needs to see of our Jesus. Not the judgmental, right-wing, conservative, Republican image that they have right now. They need to see the kind of a Jesus that will love people so deeply that he's willing to weep for them. That he sees what's happening to them and he cares for them. That he loves them. And in fact, Jesus wants us to join in that weeping. He he wants us to embrace his heart here in this place. He wants us to see our city and see our neighbors and see our friends. And when they are searching for peace with no solution, that we would be willing to weep for them in our prayer closet. That we would be willing to be burdened for them and what's, what's going on around them. This is the kind of picture I want you to see. And I, I am not, it, it has not escaped me this week as I've been thinking about mothers who many have, have children, grown children, or teenagers who have left the way. They have left the way that they've been taught or they, they have not received the work of Christ into their lives. They're not living for God and they're far away from him. And those mothers are grieved. They're overwhelmed. They are always thinking about it. There, there's never a day goes by that they don't think about their son or their daughter who's in danger, who's in trouble. I want you to see that this is who Jesus is. And I want you to see that this is who he's calling us to be. And there's no way that I can describe this adequately. So I was talking to my team this week, and Kim Swafford, who's one of our pastors here on the team, she began to share her story about her son. And so I want to just finish here by her sharing a little bit of her story about her son and both the grief and the hope that is in it. So everybody, please welcome Kim Swafford. 
Thank you. Thank you, Ross. Happy Mother's Day. You know, this job of being a mother is, is wonderful. And uh, it's also very hard. And I've learned as a mother with this, my eldest son, almost 30, that um, it doesn't always turn out like you plan and like you agonize in prayer over and what you see, what you want your children to be and the purpose fulfilled in their lives. And my youngest son, when he was in his late teens and, and early 20s, in the college years, uh, he had a crisis of faith. And it's interesting because my children have seen the power of God. They've seen God work in miraculous ways because of our family, what we're involved in. So it wasn't like he was not privy to that kind of information or, or see it in his own life. And he had such a sweetness when he was young. But he's also a thinker. He's a philosopher. And the enemy really started messing with his mind. And when he started messing with his mind, he really had a crisis of faith. And he, was, he suffered from depression, and he went into despair, and he decided there is no God. And that, to me, of all the struggles that I've faced, and I've faced some, as we all have, this one cut to the core of me because this is my child. And this is a, I, I birthed him for no other reason except for gl- the glory of God. And I want him to know God. And so when he would talk to me, we would, we would speak late at night, and that's when he'd want to talk. And, and I was just at the end of myself. I was overwhelmed. Like, how am I supposed to convince this child that God is real when he's saying he's not real? He's not real. And so I was, I was like, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. And he once told me, he says, you know, Mom, he said, in this family, I don't have a choice. And I was like, oh, you do. You do have a choice. And that was very hard for me to say because I didn't want him to have a choice. I wanted him to choose right, the one choice. And I couldn't control him. And when we don't control, we try all kind of ways to control. But when he told me that, I was like, All right, Benjamin, you do have the choice. And that's a scary thing to say to your son because I gave him permission to go and find out. Because he really is a seeker. He was seeking the truth. But he was in such darkness that it scared me for his life. Have you ever been there, Mom? Where you thought your child may just take his life? And so I, Dale and I, we just went before the throne room of God. Hebrews uh, 415, I believe it is, says that Jesus sympathizes with us. Just like when he went into Jerusalem, I knew that he was weeping for my son just like I was. I just knew that because he weeps for his children. And we dedicated him to the Lord. And so, you know, in that verse, there's a couple other verses down below that. And it says that we can come with great confidence into the throne room of God and receive mercy and grace. And I needed his grace because I felt very hopeless. And I felt like my son felt. Isn't that how it is, mothers? We feel about how our were the one that is going through the most struggles. That's how we feel. And so I felt the despair. I felt the hopelessness because he felt it. But you know, in my heart, feelings are fickle. And so we can't go on feelings even though we feel them. 
I embraced them. I knew this is what I was feeling. I knew that Jesus was grief-stricken as long as well with me, along with me. And so I received the grace from God. It says that I could receive that, and I knew that he was pouring out mercy to my son. And so there was one, one scripture that, there were many scriptures that I reminded myself because I thought, this is the truth. No matter how I feel, no matter how weak I feel, how helpless I feel to help my son, um, I knew that God didn't want any to perish. But this one right here spoke to my heart in a strong way. And it's Psalms. You know, the Psalms is very emotional because it is what, how we are. We're emotional. And uh, Psalms 103, 15 through 18. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. And you know, I feared God. It was serious to me. And I'm so thankful that God had compassion on my son and on me too. Because I I knew the loving kindness of God during this time. And he says, for those who fear him and righteousness to his children and their grandchildren. And I hung on to that. I hung on to it. I thought it doesn't look like he's turning back. Looks like he's going deeper into this crazy thinking. I even took a philosophy course to try to understand him. I did. And it really helped me. And so I I could kind of talk on his level. But Jesus, in his wonderful, wonderful love and loving kindness, because he is my God, and, and we have a special relationship. And I pray that you have that special relationship with him. He said that his loving kindness is poured out to, on the children and the grandchildren to those who keep his covenant. And so slowly but surely, my son came back after a few years. And you know, even though I held on to the hope that God was working, I didn't know if he would make that decision. He had to make that decision. He loves Jesus today, and I love to hear him talk about it. But I want to say to you moms that are in this situation where you have a child that, that thinks God doesn't exist, just like Winston Churchill said, never, 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 and I don't know how many nevers he said in that speech, but never give in. I want you to hear a few things out of just her brief comments. Did you hear the tenacity? The willingness to stay in the fight? You hear the heartbreak, of course, but then I want you to hear one more thing. She... she, She got into his world. She decided to go deep into his experience so that she could reach him or so that she could just dialogue with him. Here's the question I want to ask you. As a Christian, I think we're supposed to adopt those same, that same mentality, that same tenacity, that same willingness to go into another person's world. Just what Jesus did Just what the Father did by sending himself, right? He sent Jesus into this world, God with skin on, to communicate with us, to demonstrate who he was. The man who would come to Jerusalem 
And while all the rejoicing going on around him was weeping for the people who needed peace. Would you be willing to enter in to weeping like Jesus? Would you be willing to go beyond your own self and your own desires and your own plans and all the things that seem to point all the arrows in on your life? Would Would you be willing to point some out and begin to see the people around you that need the word of God desperately through you? You won't be able to convince them all. You won't be able to force them. There's nothing you can do to make another person do anything. What we have to be is the, is the instruments of Jesus ready to go at a moment's notice. And we've rehearsed the conversation over and over again like a mom because we've hidden in the prayer closet praying for that coworker. We have rehearsed it over and over again how Jesus may open the door for us to speak into their, their life. We've, we've ready for it because we never stop thinking about the reason we're here sharing this life, this love of God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And I want to just speak to two types of people here this morning. One is the person, and you may be sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, I, I've been away from God for a long time. I, I, I have not realized that Jesus was weeping over me. Maybe you've never made a commitment to, to God like you, you, you feel like you should today. You sense that he's speaking to you. You, you feel it down deep in your gut and you, you sense he's calling you and you know he's been calling you. And like Zacchaeus, you are, you are preparing. There's something going on inside of you. Jesus is coming after you. You realize that this is the time. This is the moment of God's coming to you. And I want you to respond to him. I just want you to give your heart away. I want you to just respond with a resounding yes to God. Because he's coming to you. And the second group of people, I, I want us to pray together as a community that we will enter into this kind of love, desire, weeping, emotion, connection, tenacity, willingness, openness for God to use us as he will to carry the burden of those around us who don't know peace would you be willing to carry the people's burden in your family and in your workplace and in your school would you be willing to carry that burden like a mom who's got to do other things has her responsibilities there's no doubt you have responsibility but even as it's happening around you you're always mindful of what's going on around you. Just every eye closed and every head bowed. Just don't don't look around. I want to encourage you to give your life away today. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I I wonder if you might, all of you all over the room, just, just sort of whisper this prayer as I say it. You can say the words right after me and you can just offer yourself as I'm praying join me would you in this prayer as I say it heavenly father thank you for Jesus thank you that he breaks the barrier that keeps me from him thank you for breaking the barrier that keeps me from you I invite you into my life today I I receive you once again. I I realize you're coming to me. I realize that you've been setting things up all along and here you are speaking to me. I receive you. I accept you. I choose you.
Forgive me for my failure. Forgive me for my sins and all of my mistakes going my own way. Would you save me? Would you rescue me from where I am? Would you help me? I'm in this place that I don't I shouldn't be in. I, I should be in a different place. I am in a sense lost. I I need to be found today. And so would you would you give me a new start? accept you, I accept your will and I choose to follow you today and I thank you, thank you God for your forgiveness and Father we pray across this community that you would help us to see people the way you see them, put Jesus contact lenses inside of our eyes so that we can see people the way you see them unlock our ears so that we can hear the cries of people the way you hear them help us to know Help us to know the kind of burden that is required as we see what's going on around us. Make us aware. Lift our eyes. Help us to see the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Give us courage to speak into the lives of people around us. Give us the grace from your your, your holy throne that we would be able to pray deeply for those who need you, who need to know peace. Give us wisdom on how to speak into their lives. Help us to go into their world. Help us to be mindful always how you want to use us. Lord, we thank you for this. We give our lives to you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.